0: It takes time for the supply chain to catch up um, and so you can think of uh, a series of reverberating effects as originally there was a shock in the supply and it took a while for the implications of that shock in supply to reach us in the US uh, and then there's a subsequent shock in, in demand and it might take time for those reverberations to go back to the source of supply.
1: Ballast Office in Lexington, Kentucky. Welcome to The Ballast Life, a series of conversations highlighting respected professionals, community leaders, and important topics that are necessary to achieving financial cohesion. Hello, everybody. This is Andy Reynolds, COO and Financial Advocate at Ballast. Today is Monday, May 18th, 2020. I'm excited to have a good friend and old professor of mine, Dr. Tom Goldsby, a supply chain and logistics expert from the University of Tennessee with us today. Tom, thank you for joining us. We're, it was a big pleasure of mine. Hey, thank you very much, Andy. It's
0: great to be with you. I'm a big fan of the podcast and uh, yes, your former professor. Always excited to, and, and happy to talk about supply chain.
1: Well, it's, it's definitely, it's become a household name and um you, you see it on the news now more than ever and, and not just the business news the, the nightly news um well tom just to brag on you for a second um you know i was going through your bio in preparation of this call and you know chair of logistics at ut a co-editor-in-chief of the journal of business and logistics a former co-editor-in-chief of transportational journal faculty director of supply chain institute at the haslam college at U- ut Uh, High demand, just from knowing you, you travel the world, being a speaker at academic conferences, 90 articles, five books, recognized as a rainmaker by DC Velocity Magazine, and the inaugural winner of the Lifetime Achievement Award from the supply chain, Leaders in Action. So I think it's suffice it to say, you know what you're talking about. (laughs)
0: Well, I have fun uh, studying uh, this stuff, and I've been very... Fortunately, surrounded by uh, excellent scholars and mentors, and uh, I, you know, how can you not be uh, successful and productive when you've uh, got a, got a lot of support around
1: you? Yeah, well, you you do a good job, and you make it fun learning it from the student's perspective. Um, so, Tom, just uh, for people who may have heard the term but have no clue what it means, obviously, supply chain can be defined in a three hour long explanation, but just a, a quick explanation. What what is supply chain? If someone doesn't know what that is, what is supply chain?
0: Sure, Andy. I, I like to define a supply chain as the network of companies that works together to provide a good or service for the end use market. And the operative term there is network. You know very few companies are supply chains all to themselves. Rather they rely on Uh, you know, a host of suppliers upstream as well as customers downstream to help them ultimately reach the market. So uh, you can think of a supply chain as as, as not so much a chain uh, like one-to-one links, but rather like a spider web, uh, a network, a myriad of business relationships that connect companies ultimately to the market of users, uh, consumers like you and me.
1: I think, you know, the, the news, just as an example, toilet paper or meat mm. um, you know mm-hmm. we, we've seen the headline news of, of you know the cows in the field right next to Kroger and Kroger doesn't have any any meat on the shelves um, yeah. you know how, how are you seeing the supply chain being disrupted and we'll get into some some deeper thoughts here in a second but just Big picture, what what's the big disruption across multiple different industries and services and products and 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 whatnot? What what's going on big picture wise in today's environment? Sure. What
0: yeah. Well, supply chains are all about trying to match supply and demand, and and we can throw a lot of uh, theories and and fancy models at it, but ultimately the challenge is matching supply and demand and, and what you're, you alluded to that you've got this seemingly oversupply over here and then you've got, you know, gross deficits in, in, in demand over there, you know, this, these mismatches that, that are happening and how, how's that possible? And, and it really, uh, again, goes back to what I said in the description at the outset that it's this network of companies. And so from the farmer You know, with Betsy grazing out in the field to, uh, I'm in Columbus, Ohio today. We've got Wendy's, which is based uh, just just down the street uh, from me here. And the fact is there's just a multitude of companies then that are in between that cow grazing in the field and ultimately (laughs) that tasty, juicy hamburger. And uh, we've just seen tremendous shocks to the system. Uh, in the past two months as a result of this COVID crisis. uh, At first, it was a shock to supply, uh, where particularly those supply chains that stretch around the world, uh, extended supply chains as we call them, particularly those that have some origins uh, or pass through China. And then we've seen the shock in demand uh, about the time that we've overcome the first shock in supply we've seen the shock in demand that we're just not demanding either quite as much stuff or a different assortment of stuff. And that's what we saw with toilet paper. And, and to some extent, what we've seen with with beef of, of late is that, uh, you know, the shock, uh, has been a, a positive shock, <laughs> um, in demand and it takes time for the supply chain to catch up. Um, and so, You can think of uh, a series of reverberating effects as originally there was a shock in the supply, and it took a while for the implications of that shock in supply to reach us in the U.S., Uh, and then there's a subsequent shock in in demand, and it might take time for those reverberations to go back to the source of supply. So it's a series of up and down, if you can kind of imagine, uh, you know, uh, uh, waves going back, and than in a in a bathtub, it's kind of like watching this wave just kind of go back and forth, and it takes a little bit of time for those reverberations to go from side
1: to side. Yeah, how difficult is it right now for business owners to be planning around these different trends? You know, just the toilet paper one is just so common right now. Um, how difficult is it for Charmin to plan for the need and 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 the demand? For toilet paper, when we're in an entirely different environment and people are at home, yeah. and, and and not to focus on personal needs, but you're at home, so you're using more of your own supply, um, hmm. and and so consumer behavior is different. Um, in addition, we don't know how long this lasts for. In addition, people are hoarding. Um, you know, this weekend I went to the grocery. It was the first time where I saw a decent amount of toilet paper on the shelf. There wasn't that 7 a.m. sprint to the toilet paper aisle. Um, <laughs> what how, what are you seeing when you talk to, to these large organizations about how they're planning for not only a month from now, but six months from now, a year from now, and ramping back up or slowing back down? And how in the world are they even modeling this for a new world?
0: Right. Well, you know, you, you mentioned an operative term there that caught the toilet paper makers really off guard, which was the hoarding. And I happen to have a guest speaker from Kimberly Clark, uh, one of the largest global producers of toilet paper in class about two months ago, just as that hoarding activity was starting. And they were really just scratching their heads. They're like, we're going to be here tomorrow. We're going to be producing. It's not a problem. You know, if we could just, you know, not even ration, but if you could just (laughs) you know <laughs> uh, purchase at, at about the rate of consumption on this product, mm-hmm. everything's going to be just fine, but there was such a, a surge in the demand that the, you know there's just no supply chain that could hope to to respond as quickly to such a dramatic uh, sudden increase in demand that they witnessed and and what you're seeing is yeah sure enough, Kimberly Clark and Proctor and Gamble the other uh, providers of, of toilet paper and other essential supplies, you know, they've been able to continue operating. It just takes, uh, uh, as I alluded earlier with my bathtub example, it just takes a little bit of time uh, mm-hmm. for, for the supply chain to catch up. And if people, you know, get to a comfort level realizing, okay, the supply will be there. Uh, I don't need to buy, you know, a three-month supply um, at, at first opportunity, but rather, you know, buy a weekly supply, buy a two week supply. Right. <laughs> Everything will be just fine. Uh, but right. it is that hoarding behavior that had, you know, kind of set in early on in, in the pandemic. And, and perhaps that's understandable. But, you know, things have settled down a little bit, uh, you know, just as we've seen. Uh, things settle down in 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 the grocery store shelves. You know what you look mm-hmm. at in terms of uh, the stock market. You know there's
1: some mm-hmm.
0: some bottoming out, and then it's 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 regained. And you know there's been a similar sort of response in our supply chain. Uh, I will say that production has been slowed in in many settings because of the new work rules that we mm-hmm. have in place. Just as we need to have social distancing in our Uh, everyday activities certainly in the workplace as well and that means that you know production lines might be running Maybe half speed uh, in some settings where people are working side by side uh, In order Mm -hmm. to accommodate, uh, you know, the safety of the workforce
1: Yeah, it's interesting Um, how do you see things ramping back up if you know, the, the, the million dollar question is what type of recovery do we have? Is it V-shaped, mm-hmm. is it a U-shaped, is it an L, is it a Nike Swish sign? Um, <laughs> you know, what do you, what do you see from, from the ability, not only the consumer, well, let's just ignore the consumer side, but just from the production side of all of a sudden, you know, this morning the news came out that phase one vaccine trials for Moderna ha- are going well um let's just say two months from now things are looking great whether it's a therapeutic treatment or whether it's a vaccine that's progressing really well and people go out and all of a sudden they're spending their dollars again um how how slow is the supply chain to catch up to that demand which right now who knows what the demand looks like so i can't imagine they're or, or what you're saying operating at 50 percent capacity because of, of work mm-hmm. rules Um, what are you, what are you seeing when you look out two months, six months, 12 months and and how the supply chain can ramp up if there is a big push for demand again?
0: Well, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, everyone who works in the supply chain is also a consumer and, uh, that notion of consumer confidence is going to manifest in in how we, we buy and, and we behave in the marketplace. And it's also going to manifest in, in how we, we work and how comfortable we are uh, returning to work and, and maybe even to some semblance of the way work was performed before uh, this pandemic, um, you know, kind of caught us. And, I, you know, as you pointed out, you know, vaccine or therapeutic, I mean, that is essential to how we're going to behave in the marketplace. And I think it's also essential to how we're going to behave in our supply chains. Uh, There's certainly, you know, a big appetite to try to return uh, our operations to the scale at which they were, you know, this time a year ago uh, and and to regain, uh, you know, but it does seem like the notion of the V uh, return um, is is challenged. It's going to be more like a U or perhaps even a W. You know, if we can't get the, the vaccine or therapeutic in place before second or third wave comes in, Frankly, that's what I'm really concerned about is that, you know, the reopening, you know, in some settings has happened much faster than others. And uh, it might be perhaps uh, too abrupt in some places. And I'm really concerned about what the, you know, the reaction could be in those settings, both to consumer confidence and also to business confidence. But if we can just kind of assume there is that demand uh, I think supply chains will be ready to respond. Uh, I, I think that you know, people are, are eager to you know, return to, to work and, and the types of work they were doing uh, before this all set in and certainly businesses are there to support it. It's been interesting though to see the innovation among companies uh, as it has led to you know, changes in the way work is organized, mm-hmm. um, the staggering of of, of work, the staggering of people, the alteration of manufacturing cells uh, within the confines of a manufacturing or distribution facility, uh, the creativity that they've come up with in, in product and material flow. And that's something I don't think most consumers really appreciate, you know, a, again, how the, the product ends up on the grocery shelves. But uh, there's been immense amounts of, of uh, creativity going on in, in manufacturing distribution operations to make every effort possible to keep those shelves stocked. And, and let's admit, um, it does mean, you know, this is the time maybe to gain customer loyalty, right? This may be the time to switch uh, someone from a competitor brand to your brand because it's on the shelf. And okay. so, you know, that's why you can hear in my voice, I get really excited from a supply chain standpoint, there's maybe never been a better time to fulfill the bill of rights. And you recall this from when you were in my class, you know, having the right mm-hmm. product at the right place, and the right time and quantity and condition for the customer. And, you know, that's something you got to do. I, I think the example we used from Procter and Gamble years ago is that you got to fulfill the two moments of truth. The first mm-hmm. moment of truth is showing up on the shelf. And then the second moment of truth is how that product actually performs when you use it. And as former sure. P and uh, CEO AG lastly pointed out you don't have a chance to succeed in the second moment of truth if you don't first Fulfill in that that first moment of truth. You got to show up to win
1: That's right. That's right. What um, I want to talk about the future here in just a second Um, You you talked briefly about innovation and and I think there there'll be Could be a lot of changes that come from this positively Um, What supply chain? concerns, benefits are you seeing today that maybe the, the general public doesn't know? I mean, we, we turn on the nightly news, we hear all about the, the toilet paper and the beef and, you know, or, or we see issues uh, firsthand. But what are you seeing um, from, from organizations that you're talking with uh, that may not be headline news and, and both challenges and, and positive opportunities as well?
0: well in the way of challenges uh you know there's a big concern for small and medium-sized enterprise and while in this conversation thus far we've talked about kimberly clark and procter and gamble and maybe made allusions to you know the automotive industry and toyota which is so prominent there in central kentucky but all of those companies rely on small and medium enterprise uh, as suppliers as logistics service providers Um, as, you know, security personnel and and all different Mm, kinds of, of, um, you know, walks of life of industry. And uh, as we pointed out, you know, a lot of companies are, are, you know, there's some filing for bankruptcy uh, during this time, particularly in apparel retailing. Um, But, you know, by and large, you know, the bigs are going to be able to weather this storm, but I'm personally very concerned about the small and medium enterprises. Uh, that feed uh, our big manufacturers and retailers mm-hmm. uh, with supply, and like I said, along with that would be the logistics service providers, like trucking companies. Uh, we're already seeing a number of service providers that are uh, that operate on very narrow margins, even during good times, um, are struggling uh, immensely. I mean, when you kind of shut off supply chains for you know to any degree for a couple of months. Uh, that's a pretty harrowing time for those companies. So that's a that's a big concern I have. Um, mm-hmm. It's been interesting in, in the way of opportunities uh, that it, it does force companies to rethink their supply chains uh, a bit. Uh, certainly, uh, those supply chains stretch around the world and may be overly dependent on one setting, namely China. Uh, it, it's time to maybe think about whether or not you want to diversify your portfolio of suppliers. I think supply chain leaders have come to realize that uh, you know being overly dependent on China is probably a um, a strategy that needs to be challenged. and certainly the tariff wars leading up to where we are now has has only shed further light on that that maybe, you know, going to other Southeast Asian countries, uh, going to Mexico, and yes, perhaps also uh, bringing supplies back to our shores might be something uh, for us to consider. But I do think that you know we consumers have gotten pretty addicted to how far a dollar goes at that big That's box right. retailer. And if we do start reshoring, you can expect you know pretty dramatic increases um, in prices on the shelf.
1: Yeah. No, that, that's right. We, we share a survey or a, a report um, United a couple weeks ago about the March survey from the Institute of Supply Chain Management. You know, 75% of companies report supply chain dis, disruptions. 57% noted longer lead times from tier one China source components. 44% did not have a contingency plan in place from a supply, a Chinese supply disruption. Um, you know, it's it, it's interesting how we respond to that. And, you know, one thing I think will be so fascinating to, to look back on in five years from now, 10 years from now, is did, how did we respond to this event? Was it a singular event that it's a strange period of time? You know, you talked about the trucking company that runs on very small margins. So is this a learning opportunity for businesses to self-reflect about their own risks and and to say, hey, if, if I'm running on a very small margin, I got to figure out a better way, um, whether it's through innovation or, or business operations or whatnot, or do they look back and say, um, you know, hey, this was a once in a hundred year event and we survived and we're going to go back to old ways. Um, and, and we won't know for a while. When you think about, um, as you talk to people, and you think about less reliance on China, I think you hit the nail on the head. Cost to the consumer, and you know, consumers ultimately want. We're, we're a we're a country that's been built on over the recent history, at least, buying stuff, and and we like it, and it's it's uh, emotionally rewarding to have your package be delivered to your house or go to the store and shop. Um, I, when you talk to leaders in these different organizations, do you think, do they believe that this is bringing things back to America? Is, is this, what's gonna be the leader? Is it gonna be politically or do you think, it, not, and not to get into a political conversation because we have people across the spectrum, um, do you think it is government driven or do you think it's consumer driven if that does happen?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a multitude of facets, and it, it, there's no way that a company should experience what we're we're going through right now and not have some time for reflection. Um, frankly, supply chain risk management has been one of the hottest topics in business over the last 10, 12 years, and, you know, research has shown that if you have a disruption in your supply chain, certainly not of the magnitude that we're experiencing now, but even, you know, a single supply location shutting down or experiencing a delay in delivery, uh, a quality issue, perhaps, that you could expect, you know, I think the study said something like a 16% hit to your stock price overnight if mm-hmm. the world learned about your supply chain issue. Um I think that bad news spreads even further and faster now than it it's did when that research was conducted, um, and that was, like I said, just kind of a routine operational disruption. So something that's as widespread and 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 deep uh, impacting as what we're going through now. Absolutely, I mean, it, it's, it's going to force uh, companies big and small, regardless of the walk of life in which they find themselves and compete. Um, you know, scratching their heads and wondering, well, how can we be better prepared? It's not something that we could have necessarily uh, prepared for, but there are ways that it could have been mitigated, Mm -hmm. right? So if you were solely dependent on China for supply uh, or if you uh, relied on the Chinese market as a major sales market, you know, that's another way that you'd be impacted there. So thinking about both the upstream and downstream composition of the supply chain is essential uh you may recall i used to refer to supply chain as a team sport and you want to have you know a a, a collection of great players you know i know you played basketball back in the day you got to have a great point guard you got to have a couple good forwards you got to have a center right um yeah and it doesn't mean that they need to be all stars in their own right but you need to put together that collection of players that works well together And on any given night, you know, someone steps in, you know, maybe it's to stop that great uh, offensive threat on the other team. Maybe it's to take the charge. Uh, At any point in time, you need someone who's going to step up. And I think that's the way we need to think of our supply chains uh, at all times, but particularly during times of crisis, that we want to have this championship configuration of players that can stand up to anything so it, it's really a collection of how we look at our supply chains, how we configure them, how we manage them, and realize that we're just but one cog uh, in the larger system. We need this whole system to remain firmly intact, to be high-performing.
1: That's right. And, and so just kind of switch gears a little bit as, as we finish up. And, and this has been really enjoyable. I, I appreciate it, Tom. Um, l- let's talk positively looking at the future and think about innovation and whatnot. Um, and it may be too early to – to answer this question wisely, but if you look back to some of the bigger changes that have come on the back end of plagues and pandemics and whatnot, uh, 60 Minutes was talking about this, I believe last night, um, about sanitation system and sewer systems and public spaces and streets that came on the back end of plagues and, and cleanliness and wanting to have a, a way to reduce the likelihood of something like this happening again. Um, There's obviously a lot of things that can be done, but from a a supply chain system, do you have any insight into innovation, whether it's technology or whether it's it's something else probably has something to do with technology, most innovation does nowadays. Um, Do you see any new innovative strategies or techniques or technology being absorbed quickly on the back end of of this as as we do get into a period of time of of some semblance of of normal which we will hopefully sooner rather than Mm -hmm. later but as that time comes and and companies start to flourish again do you see from your conversations just any absorption of of information uh, excuse me, not information but uh, of techniques that Mm -hmm. could really change from where we were previously
0: yes certainly i mean the The catchphrase uh probably of twenty nineteen uh, in my world was digitalization, and that's kind of a mouthful, but the idea of digitizing uh, not just information but work processes uh, themselves and you know there were uh, examples out there of companies that were uh, innovating and finding ways to generate a return on investment on different ways to digitize the business. I think on the far side of this, we're going to see uh, digitization automation of a lot uh, of different forms. And you know, one thing I do expect is that some of the reshored, meaning manufacturing operations coming back to the U.S., will probably come back to the U.S., but with higher levels of automation. As it would happen, these you know robots cost about the same in the U.S. as they do in Asia. Uh, Many of them are actually produced in Germany, so uh, you've got a common source of supply there, perhaps. But I I think that uh, we're going to see automated uh, manufacturing and distribution. Um, Nike and Adidas are a couple of companies that have experimented with it in recent years. Uh, This is what happened. Adidas shut down their speed factory where they were producing a limited assortment of footwear uh, in Atlanta. Uh, They shut that down in late 2019. Makes me think they might actually uh, open that back up. But I think mm-hmm. supply chains are gonna become more regionalized. You're gonna produce closer to the market that you wanna serve. Um, again, some of those operations will come back to our shores. It doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be you know, human labor that'll be performing all that work, um, mm-hmm. but rather uh, the term that goes right along with digitalization is cobotization where there's collaborative robots, robots that help us to perform manual activities. And so I think we're going to see more of this blending of man and machine. We're going to be seeing, thinking, and acting uh, perhaps differently with the aid of digitalization. Uh, we'll be smarter, I would hope, responding quicker as we see changes in demand uh, at the grocery store shelf or the, mm-hmm. uh, Andy Reynolds in Lexington, Kentucky wants a specific item. We'll be able to produce that. On a customized basis, very quickly near uh, Andy and deliver it to you. So, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of innovation stepped up. Uh, some of that had already started to happen, uh, but it was really regarded as kind of Vanguard. You know, it was something that was just kind of a fun side project uh, in 2019 that perhaps in 2020, 21 is going to be regarded as, as more essential to the way we, we conduct business. And I think there are a lot of opportunities for smart, savvy companies, uh, not just the bigs, but again, small and medium companies to get active in that automation space. Um, and and that's where, you know, we don't have to leave that to Silicon Valley companies to, to innovate there. I'd like to think that that's going to be a wave of innovation that, you know, hits throughout the country. And, mm-hmm. you know, frankly, I think that we need to figure out how, you know, we as businesses and we as a country want to compete. You know, we're well into this 21st century now. Let's start making some investments that look forward. And, yeah, it does mean investing in our infrastructure again. So perhaps we'll have some gumption to do that. Um, and also investing in, you know, technical education. Uh, something that we've seen is that we have a, a great um, – Lack. I, I think even during difficult times right now, if I was a young person, I'd be thinking about getting uh, a technical education um, because I guarantee gonna be, uh, there's going to be tremendous demand uh, during the highs and lows that we'll inevitably face uh, in the coming years. But you're going to be in demand if you uh, can, uh, can repair a robot.
1: That's right. That's right. And if, you're, if you don't speak that language, you're going to be left behind at some point. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's, that's, that's a really good point. Well, you know, Tom, I really appreciate the time you've taken um, to, to go through all this with us and you know, our, our friendship over a decade long now. I, I just, you're someone I, I really respect in the in the industry and as a person. So we, we really appreciate um, you taking some time to chat with us today. I, I definitely am. I'm, I'm a positive believer that know we get through this and and there's something better on the other side not not just going back to where we were but i I think better obviously there's a little pain throughout the way and and not to understate that but um i i do believe we have a a great country that we're part of and Um, great innovators and and problem solvers. So I I think we sit on a good opportunity for the future. Um, And it's it's good to hear that that you kind of share those same thoughts. So we really appreciate it. And um, I hope you have a a good rest of your week and we'll definitely be in touch.
0: Thank you so much, Andy. Always a pleasure to talk with you and uh, a great set of questions, but I shouldn't expect anything less from a a great former student of mine. (laughs) Thanks, Tom.